Hey everyone, welcome to the On The Record Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Watley. This week, I'm joined by NBC7 sports anchor Todd Strain. We recap his latest trip up north covering Super Bowl 56 in Inglewood, discuss his journalism career and approach to storytelling, and also go in-depth on special projects like Down to Earth. Here's our conversation, and I hope you all enjoy it. Hey everyone, welcome to the On the Record podcast. This week, I'm joined by NBC7 sports anchor, Mr. Todd Strain. Todd, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, dude. Thanks for having me, Devin. Yeah, so you were just up north in LA this past week covering Super Bowl 56, obviously in Inglewood between the Cincinnati Bengals and Los Angeles Rams. A lot of pomp and circumstance that you got to see all week. You know, for you, you were doing all these different things. I mean, you, you started first covering the Super Bowl families and you went to the NFL experience and then obviously the big game. Did you have like a master plan as far as saying I want you knew that you wanted to cover this and then go to the experience and do all these other things? Like, did you have a master plan set out or was it more more of a spontaneous sort of thing? No, no, I made a plan. Uh, I wanted to do the San Diego non-football connections first and then branch out from there. And I knew like the first few days up there, you got to get a feel for lay of the land and that kind of stuff. So I did the, the San Diego football families and the local connections, did the interviews and shot the video before I left. So I knew I'd have those ready to go when I got up there. So we could kind of say, hey, we're here at the Super Bowl, but there's tons of San Diego connections and people pulling for the athletes in the game. And boom, here's that story. I think that's important for, you, for your local viewers to give them the tie-in and say, hey, it's more than just about the players on the field. There's all these families in San Diego that have invested their lifetime for these guys to get here. And then also, when you get up there, it's a little bit crazy. So it's nice to have something in the bank, you know, and then um, and then you go from there, just kind of where the week takes you and, and everything like that. Now, I saw your tweet that you posted, I think it was yesterday or the day before, where it showed all these notes that you had, and it was just this endless... <laughs> piece of paper and you said plus there's equal amount on the backside. I mean kind of reminded me of when like the there's a show called 60 minutes and they used to interview Eminem and like he had a, a box of just notepads of just words and lyrics and all this like just stacked up like that. Did you just compare me to Eminem? <laughs> Maybe but is that usually how you how you always approach like working your work and stuff like that is just getting a piece of paper and just hashing it all out like that? Well, I, I do have an iPhone and I do put stuff on my iPhone. I'm not a complete like old school guy, but I always find it helpful. Like each day I just have a piece of white paper and I write on like, these are the things I want to do work-wise, you know, and, and what I need to do. And uh, it just kind of helps me to see it all in one place, if that makes sense. Like I see what I need to do time-wise, where I need to be and important. And then you can add notes to it in different, I, I just like to do it that way. I can cross it off as I go and uh, it works for me. So I'll just leave it at that. I got to <laughs> yeah. put some rhymes in there and match Eminem. We'll see. I got to make it all rhyme. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That would be fun. Now, obviously, I don't know if you've covered Super Bowls in the past, but was there any differences in terms of covering an event like this compared to other events that you may have done before? The Super Bowl, I, I've done a Super Bowl before. It, it's bigger than anything. It, it's just crazy. And the one thing I noticed, and I talked to a, a lot of people about it, 
is LA. I grew up in LA. My family all lives up there and everything. So I have like a lot of LA experience. LA can handle anything. You could have a Super Bowl and you could drop a World Cup in there at the same time and LA could handle it. So there was a little bit, that's, that's great. That's one of the benefits of LA. But also because it's so spread out, there wasn't a lot of juice like previous Super Bowls where you go to New Orleans and it's kind of centralized or Indianapolis, it's all centralized. Even Miami, you know, you're, you're, the, all the social stuff and broadcast centers are from one spot. In LA for the Super Bowl, people were staying all over LA. So as you know, some people are staying downtown, media is downtown, team hotels are all different places. Fans are all over from Disneyland up to, mm -hmm. you know, the beach in Santa Monica. And then you have the NFL experience without the convention center. The games at SoFi, which is a half an hour to an hour away. Uh, you had media parties on the Sunset Strip in Santa Monica, downtown Universal Studios. Uh, Bengals were at UCLA Drake Stadium. And then the Rams were way up in Thousand Oaks. So it was kind of a disconnected Super Bowl, I thought week leading up to it so there wasn't that like city center where it was all nfl all the time other than that i mean everything was great la's easily able to host all that and all the the venues did great with their events but there just wasn't i didn't get a sense of a super buzz and it made me come back to san diego and what a shame it is that we don't have a stadium here to host a super bowl because as People have said time and time again, San Diego would be the ideal city or one of an ideal, one of the ideal cities to host Super Bowls because you could have a stadium, whether it's Mission Valley or downtown. And then everything is just downtown in the gas lamp, convention center, Petco Park could host the NFL experience or they could put in the convention center. Everybody would be staying in the gas lamp or you know, East Village or Little Italy, and that's where all the parties would be and everyone would be hanging out. It would be a banger of a Super Bowl. So it made me a little bit like, ah, nuts, nuts. LA was good. It, it was it was a good Super Bowl and everything was pretty smooth. Mm -hmm. And so you start off, I think it was last week, Wednesday, or, or it might have been Thursday, and you're, you're heading up there to Thousand Oaks to do media day. And yes. obviously you mentioned before how it's different than the past days. How is it, how is it different in that aspect? It was weird, super weird. I mean, as anyone listening to this podcast probably knows, Super Bowl Media Day is usually, you know, one day or, or one night, a two-hour window where, like, all the players from one team come onto the field or into the conference room, and it's, like, thousands of media members. One, You do all sorts of crazy stuff, and then the other one team leaves, the other team comes in. This year, the Bengals were at UCLA, and they had podiums set up, just a few players there. And then where I was in Thousand Oaks, if you're not familiar with LA, it's basically like an hour and 20 minutes away from SoFi Stadium or downtown. They had 10 podiums set up on the Cal Lutheran football field. Cal Lutheran plays like D2 or D3 football. Yeah. And um, they had 10 players with the podium and you were about 20 yards away from them, 20, you know, 15 yards away from them shooting questions at them basically yelling over that distance. And it was, uh, so it was subdued. It was really subdued. Um, there were a couple zany questions. Guys were asking Cooper Cup, you know, how it felt to win their fantasy league for him. You felt like you were just at a weekly media event. It, it was a little weird. 
And I also felt bad for the guys, especially guys like Eric Weddle and others who've been waiting. Like media day is kind of cool for the players too. They yeah. get out of it. So uh, even though they end up going to the Super Bowl, it wasn't a true Super Bowl experience. I don't think for anyone involved. Yeah. And then obviously you mentioned Eric Weddle. I mean, talk about a story, right? He's yes. out of the league for two years. And you, I saw your, your, your story that you had before about how he was playing like rec league basketball and coaching his uh, son's pop Warner team. Yeah. And I mean, like, what was your going in your head when you just found out that he was going to come back? And then now he's in this stage where, you know, now he's got a ring. I mean, what's, what was sort of going through your head in that moment? Just seeing that, that almost like, I don't know how to compare it, but like Avenger storyline where he's just coming back out of, out of nowhere. Well, I think the thing that was surprising to me and, and most people who watch or cover football is no one expected him to have as large of a role as he ended up having even Eric was talking about he'll play like, you know, 15 plays. And all of a sudden he got through those first few practices, got through that first round playoff game, felt great. And he was all in all the time from that point on, which is makes it an even crazier story <laughs> that he was on the field for all the games. And he ends up being the defensive signal caller in the Super Bowl. I mean, you cannot this is a Hollywood movie, literally, like out of out of the game for two years, hanging out, playing rec basketball in his backyard. And like he still worked out, did some NFL, you know, style workouts, but he's still by himself. Your body is not used to that everyday pounding. And he comes back. He wins four playoff games, makes a ton of tackles in all the games, locks down some of the NFL's best passing attacks from the Cardinals, Bucks and um Bengals will exclude the 49ers, obviously. They're not good at throwing the ball. But and he comes up and makes support on run games, hit after hit. It is unbelievable. He is a good guy. And uh, I think San Diego really likes him. So that's a win. That's a win for um, San Diego football fans, too, who don't have many wins in recent years. Mm -hmm. um, and now, obviously, we're heading into game day. And yeah. it's a big day, right? I mean, Darnay's yeah. coming up from, from down here. You're already up there north and yeah. you're heading over there. Uh, what was the experience like getting to SoFi and what was it like being there? Because I know you were actually in the stadium in the little media area that they had set up. What was it? What was that whole experience like? That uh, SoFi Stadium is sweet. It's it's futuristic. They have everything accounted for. Um, we got there super early because like so many people, their concerns about traffic getting there and then getting through security, COVID checks, everything like that. So we got there at about 11 a.m. So we were there like four and a half hours before the game. Um, got through no problem. The media set up at most Super Bowls, like they have the regular press conference and then they have auxiliary press conferences. So usually the, the normal press box is filled with the guys who cover the teams on a normal basis, all your national writers, local media, et cetera. Everything one else is up in the auxiliary press box. So they had three sections up top, 523, 524, and 525. They take out every other row of seats. They put a table in there, you got your plug in and you just work from there. You're basically sitting in the stands, which I mean, it was a little warm compared to the <laughs> press box and the seats were a little tight, but it's an awesome experience as well because you were in the stands. You feel like you're just a fan watching the game. As far as, uh, everything that went on in the stadium with the game. It was great. I mean, SoFi Stadium is amazing. As we said, the ribbon video board up top is great. 
within the game, what was really cool, they had all sorts of next-gen uh, NFL stats. Oh, wow. Throughout the game. So it wasn't your typical, like, Rams, 79 passing yards, Bengals, 43 passing yards, mm-hmm. you know, 17 to 3. They had, like, boards flowing with, like, EP, you know, estimated runs per average, all, all sorts of crazy stats that was really cool and they did a good job they showed that you know tons of stars there so they had all every break where the game went to commercial they had stars going through um it was cool it was well done and then the halftime show was a banger yeah say i so being in house you can't really get a great view of all that goes on in the halftime show Mm -hmm. and the the lyrics were a little hard to hear in the stadium so i rewatched or I watched the TV version last night and uh, it's better on TV than in person. Yeah. So that, that was kind of the takeaway from the game and uh, game. What the game itself was uh, so, so I don't think either team played their best game, but uh, all you want in a Super Bowl is to be nice and tight at the end. And that it was. Yeah. I mean, um, just to talk about your point about halftime. I mean, I was, I was watching it at the station because obviously I was helping you guys with your stuff for the show. And one of the things that really stood out to me was how I guess from I've watched other videos of people who are actually in the stands and I noticed that the the music is actually not that loud. And I, and I guess it goes back to your point that it's technically built for TV. They don't necessarily make the halftime show to be about the crowd more. So it's for the television to get the viewers watching. Totally. So where the, the sound is much better on TV, you can see everything perfectly. And like for Kendrick Lamar's performance, so if you were on one side of the stadium, you would not have, you didn't see his performance because it was kind of behind the stage. So, and also all that awesome choreography and the shots, the camera zooms in, they go low, they go overhead on Kendrick Lamar stuff where the dancers are perfectly matched up with the beat of the songs and the choreography matches and the TV shots match. And then Mary J. Blige falling down, they take the overhead shot. If you're in the stadium, you don't you don't see those shots. You see it from only the perspective of your, of your seat. Mm-hmm. So yes, watching that show on TV was uh, much better than being in the stadium. When you're in the stadium, I didn't even get to see Snoop Dogg smoking. The oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I know you talked about how it was a, there was a strong marijuana smell in the in the stand. I, as soon as like. Two or three minutes before the halftime, you know, show started, all of a sudden this day, and it wasn't in there before, just marijuana. <laughs> the stadium, you're like, oh, here comes the halftime show. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. That's so exciting. And now, obviously, I want to talk about the game. No, you mentioned it was kind of so so. For yeah. me, I felt like that kind of same way too. Like the Bengals, you know, they were down early, the Rams get a touchdown, but then they start getting, you know, the Bengals start scoring. They had that trick play TD, they get the INT before half, and then um, then they scored that touchdown in the third quarter that obviously everybody was saying was a face mask. I mean, you could look at the replay and clearly it looked like that, but when they scored, when they scored that touchdown, I was, I was almost like, Oh, this might be, this might, they might actually, you know, take this. Cause I was thinking, I think the Rams are down. Like I think a score or two scores or something like that. They needed two scores to, to take the lead. What were you, what was your thought heading into that third quarter after the Bengals ended up scoring that long touchdown? Well, let me let me go back a little bit more. Those early on being in there and with all the media guys around us talking and guys who watch both teams extensively, 
it was clear early on with Odell Beckham on the field, the Rams were in rhythm and they had a clear advantage, clear advantage against the Bengals. They're off. They're able to do everything they wanted offensively. And their defensive line was handling that Bengals offense and, and the passing game and, and running game pretty well. As soon as OBJ went down, you could see the Rams just sideline. That was a crushing blow. And the game flipped at that moment. And then we come out, as you said, at halftime. And that play, you got a sense like these aren't the same Rams as they were in the first quarter or all season. And the, it appeared the Bengals had found their juice, their momentum. On top of that, the Rams play calling was very questionable. I know they were down, you know, no Robert Woods, no Tyler Higby, and no OBJ. So they're lost, you know, a lot of their offensive scheme that they used all season long. But they just kept running the ball and they were under two yards of carry and everyone was going, what are they doing? Sean McVay's having another terrible Super Bowl, Super Bowl play calling wise. It was almost like deja vu from 2019 against the Patriots. And no one could figure out why he was so insistent on pounding that running game when there was nowhere to go. And the Bengals had clearly devised a defensive scheme to, to stop that. So that was really surprisingly surprising to everyone involved. And the feeling was this is the Bengals game. That said, that Ram defense, once they, they Bengals took the lead and uh, they stopped the Bengals, held them to a field goal after that big TD, really kept it a one-score game. And that Ram defense allowed that Ram offense to stay in the game with multiple stops while the Ram offense kind of sputtered along before finding themselves on that last drive. So I thought that was key. And then that last drive, Rams got away from the running game. They went passing. Bengals played a lot of zone defense. Stafford made the throws. Cup made the catches. And then also the huge ballsy call, fourth and one from their own 30. McVay goes for it with about five minutes to go. And they run the ball, but it's not a handoff up the middle. It's Cup on the jet sweep. Key moment of your whole season, maybe your career, get the ball to your best player and get him outside. That was money. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, I was watching another podcast and he talked about how, I guess in 2018, the Rams are more focused on throwing the ball a lot. And I guess that that approach to running was more so to just have the Bengals sort of think about the possibility that they may run the football, which is what I was thinking, which is what I was thinking as far as why they would run it which is just kind of have them thinking because at that point in the game, you know, you know that the Stafford's going to throw the ball, but he may not have a lot of weapons. So you know that they have to keep thinking about throwing, running the football, but um, you know, from, from your perspective, I mean, the Rams make that last drive and, and Burrow, I think they, they had a stat that said he was sacked like seven times tied for most in Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's what ended up changing the game was the fact that Burrow just couldn't get into a rhythm because he kept getting in, in trouble with his offensive line yeah sacked seven times pressured numerous other times and that rams defensive front i mean burrow didn't have any time to throw so sometimes as you saw in that last play when fourth and one aaron donald pressures burrow jamar chase had come open again so if burrow has another second he might have thrown the game-winning touchdown pass right there but definitely the rams defensive front because think on that not only did they do a great job all game, but on that final drive, Bengals got to midfield. They got nine yards on first down. 
So they were over midfield or near midfield with about just over a minute left. And that Ram defense locked them down on three straight plays, set an incomplete pass. Then they did the handoff. Aaron Donald was right there, wrapped them up for no gain. And then the fourth down play, that, that ends it. Rams defense, huge credit for sure. And what were your thoughts on, I don't know if you saw Rodney Harrison's comments before the game, but he mentioned that Aaron Donald was considering retirement if he won. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts when you first saw that comment? Well, my first thought was no way. I mean, he, he's the best defensive player in the game. One of the best of all time. He's at the top. If he walked away, it would be like Barry Sanders walking away. But then you understand um, the grind that it takes NFL guys, not just to, to stay in shape during the season, but throughout the season, the ultimate grind, the price you pay physically on your body, the pain you take. Um, and you understand he's, he's now over, you know, 30 years old or right around, what is that? I think he's 30, 30 years old, 31. And, and you could see it. I mean, you saw his family after the game. He's got young kids. At what point does that physical toll and the mental toll to stay in NFL ready exceed your, the quality of life? And once you've won that Super Bowl and have as many personal awards as he does, you can see if, you, if you're not an all football all the time guy, that could be a, uh, a prudent life decision. But we'll see. I think for, for Aaron Donald, who, as you mentioned, has talked about retirement, and McVay, who has talked about stepping away from coaching for a while. Both are potential, potential things to happen, and I can totally see the logic behind those. At the same time, it's really hard, I would think, to step away when you're at the top and you have the piece all the back, or many of the pieces coming back. You have your quarterback. You have Stafford now. You have running backs. You have Cooper Cup. You're going to get Robert Woods back. You have the pieces in place to stay at the top. That's challenging. That's hard. It, it's, um, it'll be tough decisions for both those guys, especially McVay. Um, he goes all in. And there, there's a lot of thought. Once again, he wants to step away, get married, have some kids with his wife. And coaches grind. Coaches grind mentally, probably more than, more than players. And the time it takes to coach probably exceeds what the players put in. So um, they're burnt too. So those are real considerations. But personally, it's hard to step away at the top, man. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was thinking too. I'm like, Sean McVay's only 37, the youngest head yeah. coach to win a Super Bowl. And yeah. I know that's one thing that he's really wanted for a while. And obviously now he has it. But yeah. it just seems hard for me to think that he'd step away at that young of an age. I mean, he has, he has the potential, like you said, to they could easily win it again next year. So yeah, it's really it's going to be interesting to see what happens as far as both of their decisions. One thing on that, the thing that that makes it a real possibility is the broadcasting gig. If you're the featured main guy for a network, you can make way more than you would make in coaching. And you work, what, 17, 18 games a season. And a few days a week versus, uh, you know, a full year grinding 10 hours, 16 hours a day, every day. So, and McVay's got some real leverage with the Rams. Like he is worth more than his contract currently is. So Stan Kroenke, I think is going to have to pony up or McVay can say, Hey, I'll go triple my salary in broadcasting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I want to move on to after the game. 
right? Yes. Game ends. You're in the you're at the stadium. You're about to head to the press conference, which I'm assuming, right? Yes, correct. So you're heading to the press conference, and then you have Darnay outside. You have Elroy outside. Everybody yeah. else, you know, um, doing their thing. What's going through your head in that moment as you're heading to the press conference? Are you are you more so focused on gathering your notes and figuring out what I'm going to ask Eric Weddle and such and such everyone else? Well, this year was a little tricky uh, press conference wise because in your typical game or typical Super Bowl, Elroy, uh, the photojournalist, would be with me and we'd just go onto the field and, you know, find Eric Weddle, ask him his questions about the game, find Kevin O'Connell, another San Diego guy, find Terrell Burgess, another San Diego guy, and then like get, try to get some cool shots, put it all together, you know what you have. This year, because of COVID, we once again had podiums set up in an area underneath the stadium the passes were severely restricted. So Elroy wasn't in there. So you have a pool like camera that you have to download the video from, but you can ask the questions. So you can't go on the fields here in there under the stadium, basically in a big room with six or seven podiums and all these media members just waiting for guys to show up. So um, the game plan is you got to get the, as a local journalist, you got to get your local guys. So if you're in San Diego, you get your San Diego connections. If you're San Francisco, you get, your San Diego connections. If you're from Des Moines, Iowa, working for the NBC station, you know, and there's a lineman from Des Moines, Iowa, you got to go get that guy. So you get your San Diego guys first. So we knew Weddle was coming in. So we set up shop there. And for the super, the questions are pretty easy. You know, like everybody watches the game, you know what to ask. You may ask some localize your questions to San Diego or that kind of thing. Um, so I didn't have to refer to my pages and pages of hand notes there. I mean, you just know what you're going. But then it gets a little tricky because you have to budget your time to be in the post-game press conference. And then the live shot was about 20 minutes. You got to work your way out of the stadium and then up up to where that was. So you just got to you just got to budget your time, make sure you get your questions right, give yourself enough time to get back to uh, the live shot uh, with some time to spare and uh, and go on TV. And of course, I couldn't have done it without you, Devin. You got the help. You were downloading the video and, and turning it around for me. We were kind of texting back and forth. I'm like, let's use this. Let's use this because I didn't have time to, to edit it. So I had to rely on you and you were awesome. And that, like anyone, it takes help for the people behind the scenes to turn around the video or turn around the sound bites that you need. And you just communicate with everyone working and uh, you get it on air and get it to work as best as can man yeah it was just it was crazy and I, I don't know if i ever told you this but like when we were we had the press conferences roll on right i'm telling yeah. our assignment desk person that we want to roll on these games and these games or these people whatever when we roll on them we realized at the last moment that they didn't have sound when you're rolling on eric well and i'm like oh my gosh and, and we rolled on it late too so that the, yeah, we were yeah. talking about the first four yeah. minutes being the real interesting part we, we rolled on it late so we missed it and I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm, I'm in the, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm trying to figure out how to handle everything. And then yeah. uh, Darnay's coming in, he's stepping in like, yeah, I'll do the Weddle slot or whatever. And I'm like, okay, great. And then yeah. we were trying to figure out that intro slot for your yeah. part. And we rolled on Stafford, but I didn't have Cooper Cup like Darnay was talking about or you were talking about. Yeah. And luckily LA rolled on a main feed. So they had a, I think, I don't know if they had a camera in the press or they were rolling on a main virtual feed, but they had all these players stepping in and out 
and they had a, a slot with Cooper Cup. So if not for LA rolling on it, we wouldn't <laughs> have had it, which is just so it's just so crazy to think about. Well, it's crazy. I mean, in this COVID restricted access world, like so often you're relying on download feeds and what people and or teams or leagues are putting on their website. And now it's once again, like you conceivably us sitting back at our station at NBC, I mean, you can only do what pops up on the feed, right? Or what pops up on the download or when it gets transferred, <laughs> you know, yeah. on the website versus, you know, in this non-COVID world, as I said, Elroy, the camera, camera guy would have been right there rolling and we would have had it right away and we would have known what we had. So in a way, it is a little funky because we're kind of just at their mercy for when they post it and how they post it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of more like a game of chance sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Where it's like, it's crazy because that show, we also, we didn't, we not just only had you and Darnay live, but we also had Steven live in Beijing. So we had to deal with that stuff too. So it's just kind of like an added thing, three live shots in one show, but it all ended up being great, which is kind of the exciting thing. Just kind of seeing it all come together. Yeah. And, and that's like when that's a good and bad technology, right? Like Steve Luke can go, live from a bullet train in Beijing. Elroy and I can be uh, up in LA outside SoFi Stadium and Darnay can be a little bit further away outside SoFi and we can all get it together and all go live. But then getting some post-game sound from the Super Bowl can be a real <laughs> troubling thing due to technology. So that's a win and, uh, and a challenge, I guess. Yeah. Um, so now let's go through, you finish the press conference and yeah. you know you have about 20 minutes to head to your live shot. Now, yeah. I know Darnay was live at a platform because, I mean, it looked like the it looked like the same platform that you were live at earlier this week. Was that, is correct. that correct? Yeah. So um, the setup outside the Super Bowl is NBC had a platform, right? You know, there's that lake in front of SoFi Stadium. So they had an awesome platform there with like six to 10 cameras fully lit. And that's where you went live from or on tape through the week. Game night, that platform is packed. Each station gets one, NBC station gets one spot there. So we had to get a second spot, Elroy and I. And there's not a great spot outside SoFi where we didn't know what it was going to be like post-game. You don't want to be like in the dark or whatever. So Elroy got a cool spot on a balcony from the NFL network building or NFL offices on a balcony with the SoFi sign right behind me. So yeah. So I just made my way through the post-game crowd uh, into the NFL office building up the stairs and Elroy had it lit and dialed up right away. So it was cool. And I know like you obviously have your IFB on, but is there sort of a delay in the feed when you're hearing between Catherine and Mark and Darnay, or is it more so like, can you just hear them pretty instantly? You can hear them pretty instantly. It's like a second or two delayed. So, so you got them um, in your IFB and then also in your IFB, you have the producer and director talking to you. So there's a little bit of a delay, but the producer and director usually give you a little cue to help you jumpstart. Um, but once again, that's a total win, win for technology, real easy, you know, like versus the old school days, it wasn't that easy. And everyone at NBC7 is great. Communication was good. Whether you have stuff scripted or ad lib, it all works out well and everyone flows pretty good. So it's just when you get in those situations, oftentimes it's just like everybody's got to just trust each other. If I have in my script, 
because as you know, a lot of times you don't know what you're going to say till I you just have, I'm going to Todd ad libs to the side mm-hmm. and I'll just give the director a head up. You know, I'm going to ad lib for about 15 to 20 seconds. And then I'm going to give a roll cue to the soundbite. That'll be something like that. So the director just has to trust, not fall. There's no script. You know, you just trust that I know what I'm going to do or whoever's broadcasting. And then it's pretty obvious when you get to the roll cue and boom, roll it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think like, I think just on that point about trust, I think that's such a big thing about why um, everything ends up being so good, especially with the shows that we put on is, is not only you as a reporter have trust in us as the, as the producers, but also that we have trust in you that yet you'll end up fulfilling the, the goal that you need to do. And I think that's yeah. why it's like so important, especially for, especially for the journalists who are, you know, in trying to grow their careers and be in, in bigger news stations later on is have trust with the people that you're working with. Well, you're exactly right. And like I said, I didn't, cause I didn't know what you guys were going to have access to post game as we talked about downloads and what would come down that you could, you could edit sound wise. So I think in one of my texts, you said, if, if we can't find what I want, like, I trust you just put it together and, and just tell me the, what it's kind of about and I'll set it up appropriately. So as you said, there's trust both ways. Like I know you can pick out, excellent sound bites and highlights and just tell me what there are and I'll get there. Or if I find something I can point it out to you and you, and you can cut it both ways. So yeah, for the, for the newscast and the football night show, specifically the football night show, which is mostly ad lib. Yeah. It's a matter of us saying, find this video or you coming to us and saying, I found this video and then we just make it work. Mm-hmm. Now, after the live shots done, your stuff's over. Did you do anything afterwards? You go to an after party? <laughs> I was in the hangar with the Rams, parting it up. No, uh, <laughs> we all, uh, all the NBC crews met, um, and we went to In and Out. I know it's not, it's not <laughs> glorious, but it was kind of funky because so you're at SoFi Stadium, and there's shuttles to get you in there. So at like what was this? Probably eleven fifteen at night. We're still waiting for the shuttle, the NBC shuttle to come pick us up and, and take us. So we threw our gear in the shuttle when it got there and the shuttle takes us all to LAX, which is kind of the pickup point where we left all our cars. So then we load the gear into the car and uh, we go, let's go to the in and out Everyone was starving, you know, so we just hit, hit in and out shortly before midnight. I crushed a, I crushed a number two, add some <laughs> to that burger and uh, it was all good. Then back to the hotel room. that's great that's great now i want to talk about your nbc7 career for a bit because you also not only do sports and football night but you also did news for a bit is that that right that is that is so when i got to nbc7 derek was on paternity leave so i i was just moving down to san diego my wife's from san diego we knew we wanted to live in san diego so i reached out to uh the bosses at nbc7 and said i'm moving down here here's here's what i've been doing um, here's my resume, take a look at it. And they said, oh, we like you. Great. We just happen to have Derek Togerson's going on paternity. We need someone to fill in with sports. So I did that. And then once he came back, they're like, well, we like you, but we don't have a full-time sports position for you. So do you want to like do part-time news reporting when we need you? So, and I had never done, never done news. Like that was that was brutal, man. Uh, news, but we made it happen. So I started doing that and uh, just picking up a lot of people 
in this business, they say, just do what you can to get your foot in the door or do what you can to get the position you needed. So I would do weekend multimedia journalists and weekday multimedia journalists. I would just one man band, MMJ, out in the field and turn some news stories. They, I, they weren't the best news stories, but they, <laughs> I remember one specifically, I was live and uh, one of the, the producers called me or, or the news director and said, tone it down a little, like you're not at a sporting event, you know, it's, it's a little more somber. So uh, I found my way and we did that for a while. And then, so I was doing part-time news, part-time sports. And then Greg Dawson, the news director came to me and said, Hey, um, Dagmar Midcap wants to do these down to earth weekly feature stories. And we can't find a good person who can shoot, edit and, and write. And, um, and I know he's like, I know you hate working <laughs> we can we can news and news reporting. Do you want to sp split sports in these? And so, so there you go. Yeah. Which one was easier for you as far as like news and sports? Obviously, I know you didn't eat. I know what your answer is probably going to be, but um, is there is there anything from your 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 news side that you kind of miss? No, not one thing, Devin. Not one thing. But I mean, I admire the news people, but that is not my thing. I am not the kind of guy like to knock, knock on people's doors after tragedies or investigate like leaky water faucets. That's, that's not my thing. I'm glad other people do that, but that is, uh, I, I was uncomfortable doing that kind of stuff, but thank God <laughs> other people do like to do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Now, obviously you mentioned down to earth. I mean, and I know it's you, Dagmar and Elroy that usually kind of do a lot of the work, the heavy duty work there. How's that process like when you're trying to find stories? Because I know a lot of like 93 Wolf and all these other, other sort of things that like, I remember reading through some of this stuff and I was like, I had no clue this was happening. I mean, how, how do you sort of find, how do you sort of find ideas? So mostly it's Dagmar. Every once in a while, I'll come across something and, and find it out. But mostly it's Dagmar. She knows everything and anything about any animal anywhere in the world, <laughs> small or big, how they're being treated, where they live, what they need to live, all that stuff, or environmental issues or global warming or climate change. So she comes to me and says, hey, let's do this this week. Um, so then we work together to line up some interviews, whether that's in town or if we're doing Zooms with someone in South Africa or anything like that and gather the elements. And then Dagmar and I just talk through it, what, what, what she wants to say, what points she wants to get across. And it's all, the one tricky thing about Down Earth is a lot of, like she has such expert knowledge, you have to kind of like tailor it to fit the viewer who may not, as you said, not know anything about OR93, this lone wolf who's walking through California. But then, so, it's oftentimes a complex topic. So you have to kind of simplify it and make it interesting for the viewer. And, and hopefully we do that. So then we, we just talk it out. We see what we, how we want to format it. And we work together to pick out the sound bites we want to use in the video and then kind of go through it and make it happen. And then, as you mentioned, we use Elroy, cameraman extraordinaire for a lot of the bigger shoots we do, the trips and the half hour specials, so. Is there any sort of, because I know some of the stuff has been done in Africa and other, all these other crazy places. Like, have you guys actually went there and shot that stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we've been to, uh, so I've been to Kenya, Mozambique, 
South Africa now, I think three or four times. Those are some pretty crazy experiences. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, and then we've been a bunch of different places. St. Louis, Sacramento. Sacramento's not that exciting, but uh, some places like that. And then we were supposed to go to Indonesia, but that was canceled by COVID. Um, so yeah, we, we go all over to do, and that, that's for the half hour specials. So that's where that comes into play. Mm -hmm. And then as far as those half hour specials, are you the one who mostly produces a lot of that stuff? Or is it more so like you have a person who's set, who's going to be like, yeah, I want, you know, this, 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 this. And so, so Dagmar and I's view on that is kind of this, like we find out something that's going on, for instance. So like we did this one story in um, Africa where they're translocating elephants from one reserve where they're threatened, they can no longer live there, to another reserve where they are um, have plenty of room and they can live their lives. So it was South Africa to Mozambique. It was like a 40-hour journey where they tranquilize dart the elephants. They pick them up with a crane. They're hanging upside down. They put them on flatbed trucks. Then they put them in trailers. The elephants wake up and they're in trailers. And then they drive 30 plus hours to Mozambique. They open the back of the trailer and let them out. So, for example, not shoot, like they're like, what do you want to do and that kind of stuff? And we say, we don't want to do anything. All we want to do is follow you and film you. Just pretend like we're not here. And that's kind of our mantra for all these. We rarely have stuff set up or things planned. Our plan is your plan. We're just documenting what you're doing. So whether it's translocating elephants in Africa or going down to the San Diego Humane Society, you know, and like following along adoptions or something like, we're just here, pretend like we're not here, we'll follow you along. Or like an owl, releasing owls in Ramona. We don't need any certain shots or sound bites. You do what you do, we'll follow you along. We'll get all the video, we'll showcase your normal wildlife activities, and then we'll ask you some questions afterwards or as we go and, and put it together. So it's kind of like there's not specific, we, we, you know, you have specific things like I hope this and this and this plays out, but whatever happens, that's what we show. Mm -hmm. And as far as like any of the most like insane experiences that you've had with Down to Earth, because you mentioned that you've been to all these different places. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is there any that stands out over the rest? Oh, for sure. Like when you're in Africa, you're out there in the field. And um, so like, for instance, we did uh, one with poaching rhino horn. We're out in the jungle or the bush, as they call it, at night with these rhino rangers, which are rhino police officers, basically. And they're armed guards that are guarding rhinos. So they're so they don't get poached, killed and people cut off their horns. So you're walking through the bush out in the middle of South Africa, you know, like six hours away from Johannesburg with these armed guards. That's a little crazy. That's a little dicey. And then the next day, we uh, one of the ways they try to diminish poaching, some people believe that the best way to do it, some reserves, they make a preemptive move and they saw off the rhino horn so the poachers won't come in. So their rhinos just don't have horns. Um, and we actually saw we were two feet away as they sliced. That's just insane. Never thought I'd see something like that. 
And then you just have some experiences where like a tiger could be right around, right around oh my gosh. You know, the bush. It's a little unnerving sometimes, but, it, but it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's insane. I mean, tigers. Is. Oh, <laughs> do you ever have like, are you ever like shooting, like shooting with the camera and like, you just look and you see a tiger coming out or another wild animal and you're just like trying to hold No, because it. there are like, you're with guides and trained professionals. So they're like, watch out for this, watch out for this. But there is, I mean, you're in nature. So anything could happen at any time. You just have to trust the guys that you're with. The experts know what they're doing and, and will protect you. But of course, there are all sorts of things that happen out there that are just like, whoa, didn't see that coming or whoa, look at this. So it's insane. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the simple times we were just hanging out, we we're doing an interview and I'm shooting an interview against uh, against kind of backed up against like a wooden fence mm -hmm. that has holes in it. And we're at this rhino place and I'm filming and I just let out this huge scream because a rhino, which was, you know, in that area behind me, had just come up and just put its nose right into me. But it totally freaked me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I screamed like a you know <laughs> little baby. That's hilarious. Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, and now I wanted to talk a little bit about football night because I was running the prompter during the shows and and obviously I got to see you and Greg and Rich and Darnay do your thing. I mean, it, it's it's honestly for me at least, it was so it was so so interesting because it's like you guys handle it like such pros. I mean, it's like you, you go out there and you're having to speak in front of like you know, thousands of people in front of that camera, but yet like you act like it's almost like a conversation at your dinner table. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, we're lucky. We have, we get along all those guys on that show. We all get along. Well, we're all football fans. And so that's kind of the key, I think, to a successful show. It doesn't always happen, but sometimes you just get the right mix and it's real easy. And as you said, it's basically like, we're just hanging out, watching the games having a conversation as you know like some stuff in that show is scripted but the script part is basically the setup you set up the moment and then you let the moment happen whether that's breaking down the play or the highlights or that kind of stuff um and so we're lucky we, we get along and i think as you said everybody feeds off each other to make everybody a little bit better which is key anytime you're doing tv broadcasting or even radio or any general work environment you know, if you have one great person, that's great. If you have two great people, doubles it. And, and we have multiple great people in front of the camera and behind the camera on that show. So it just amplifies, it amplifies everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one thing I noticed when I was going through like a lot of your stuff that you'd write for the Rams VOs and, and stuff like that is that you use, you use a lot of alliteration. <laughs> I noticed that and like rap references. How, why do you do that? Like, what's the, what's, what's the reason behind that? I just found early in my career, I just like like alliteration. It was just kind of catchy. It flows. Um, it pops a little bit on camera. And I, I just liked and I developed that a lot of alliteration to get into quick alliteration on camera to get you into the video. It, it's kind of cool and it works for me. I like it. Um, interesting thing, though, I never used to script any highlights. Really? Yeah. And then... Um, but then you had to start scripting them for the captioning for hearing impaired. I was like, you got to have that in there. And so then I started scripting more and more. Um, and the rap stuff is, it just, it kind of works. It's, it's usually <laughs> rap like that nineties rap or whatever. It's just kind of quick hooks. 
that um, work with, you know, sports is in bursts, like football plays are eight to 10 seconds long, a basketball slam dunk, you know, eight to 10, six seconds long. Like it's like a little rap, like a hook, you know, you get the payoff. It's just yeah. like awesome rap verses, you know, they're like one or two sentences and the end of that sentence is usually boom, it just pops. So I try to find something that works with the uh, particular thing. So mm-hmm. the, the um, LL Cool J doing it and doing it and doing it yeah. well. That's one of my favorites, man. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. It's just like, I, re- I remember watching him and I'm like, and I was just kind of, I was kind of smiling behind my mask because I'm like, oh, this yeah. is like, this is great. Like you just thought, you know, you're just doing your thing and all these little alliterations and, and little, little stuff. I bet you like, if I'm enjoying it, the viewers probably enjoying it even more. Thanks, Devin. We hope, we hope, we try. Have Darnay and like others try to like emulate that sort of thing? Nah, they they, sort of everybody's got their own style. Everyone's got their own style. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'll have to tell them, I'll offer them a challenge. You know, you got to get some, uh, 80s 90s rap in your in your highlights here yeah yeah <laughs> and what motown, motown philly back again right? yeah motown, for sure for sure well i know darnay used like some philly terms in some of his stuff and, and things like and that. then to- togerson would go like led zeppelin or something yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> now obviously football night i mean it was such a long season but a lot of exciting games i mean did you have any favorite show or favorite moment in the show that stood out to you over others any show where we're coming off a great sunday night game those are by far the favorite because you you have a as a football fan you're like that's crazy that's what i want to talk about like it's exciting to talk about if you got a kind of a doozer of a sunday night or a snoozer of a sunday night game like it's tough to get in the show any sunday night show that comes off a, a great sunday night game High quality of play, exciting finish. Those are for sure the for sure the um, favorites because they give you a little boost, a little juice going into the show, and also you feel like people are are watching. You know, like you feel like football fans are sticking around. Whereas if it's Falcons three, Bills twenty eight in the third quarter, you're like, oh man, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know who's sticking around for this one. So yeah, but any and anytime you have something like. Derek and I used to go up to the games uh, pre-COVID. Uh, he would go Chargers, I'd go Rams. So all those were were great. Hopefully next season we'll get back into going to games as, of course, we said that last year too, <laughs> uh, hoping that COVID would ease. But anytime you get to the games is, is a little more juice as well. So yeah, definitely going to the games, being on site, and then coming off a, a cool Sunday night game is is the shows you really like yeah that was, those i would i would totally agree and like one of the other things was i remember we had a darnay had a, a video of like this guy struggling to get outside of his uh his lineman stuff and yes. we had rich try it on during the show yes. that was probably yes. one of my favorite ones anything different or unusual to break up the rhythm of the weekly show because no matter how great the nfl is and, and the highlights there is a bit of repetitiveness to the weekly nfl grind so anytime you get amazing play or something funny like that, like getting out of the uniform or, you know, big men scoring TDs, like it's, you've seen it before, too big to score, but it's still funny every time, like too big to score. Everybody, yeah. you know, yeah. guys, that guy score, big guy score. Yeah. Like, you know, like you always say, I think it makes the viewers stick and stay. 
Um, Correct. There you go. Yeah. Um, and now I want to talk about one more thing before we finish things up here, but obviously your journalism upbringing, you went to yeah. UC Santa Barbara, but you've also had stops at other stations too. When did you right. sort of know that you wanted to be a journalist and pursue sports journalism? So uh, as mentioned, growing up in LA, so I would like love the Dodgers and Lakers don't like the Dodgers anymore, but still like the Lakers, but would just like watch all the games and always wanted to do like play by play and stuff like that. But then I went to UCSB to go to college and I found out that to get into sports broadcasting, you had to start basically in small markets and move all around the country. As a Cal Southern California kid, I'm like, I love Southern California. I don't want to move anywhere. So I'm like, mm -hmm. screw that. And UCSB doesn't really, they don't have broadcasting. They have communications, but it's not broadcast based. So I was a history major. And, but then my final year at UCSB, I had to do an internship. And I knew a guy who was older than me who had graduated, who was working at the um, TV station, KYT in Santa Barbara. And he goes, hey, we have this high school football show. It's like PPR, you know. He's yeah. like, you want to intern on it? So my senior year of college, I interned on that show. And they'd send me out to games and I'd do the, the highlights for the games. And that was my first time and I was hooked right there. So I said, I want to do this. So I, after graduation, I worked at KYT part-time for a little bit, put together a resume tape, and then went from um, Santa Barbara to Medford, Oregon for a year and a half. And then we wanted to get back to California. So I bounced down to Bakersfield. And then uh, my wife and I always knew we wanted to live in San Diego. So we're like, let's go to San Diego. So yeah, so I did end up bouncing around at some smaller markets, learned how to do everything, you know, shoot, edit, what works, what doesn't work. And uh, yeah, that's kind of a little bit different path than a lot of young college students but as as you know and there's not a certain way that works to get into the business there there are preferred ways but there are a bunch of different ways and you just have to find what works for you yeah I think you really hit it on the nail there and I mean I know um for me at least I could speak on this because it's for me I landed at NBC because one of my professors in college his name was Jerry McCormick who used to be work at NBC yeah and he I actually Jerry yeah yeah. And he knew he knew um, Greg Dawson and Renee, and he yeah. actually he he Jerry saw my work and he was like um, he was like oh like there could possibly be this thing for you at NBC and so he, he yeah. I, I emailed Greg Dawson he never got back to me the first time but I emailed him again because I was like you know let's yeah. let's just see what happens I emailed him again a, a week later he forwards my name to Renee even though there weren't any openings and then that's how I yeah. end up landing where I am yeah. So Perfect. Kind of funny stories, I guess, is kind of the, the tale behind it. Well, also, and as you say, sometimes it takes one or two emails and it's not because your first or second email or first or second call wasn't received well. It just can be there's nothing going on at that time. There's there's no openings or I'm busy and I'm not going to deal with this now. And uh, let me get let me give it another try. And that may work. You may catch them at just the right time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now. What's your advice for people who are aspiring to pursue sports journalism and they're, you know, they're in college right now or they're in their first journalism job? Like, what's your advice for them? I would, the, the most important thing is just be yourself, find your voice. And to find your voice, you have to get reps. So wherever you want to go to get those reps, some people get lucky. 
and they get reps in, in larger markets or anything like that. But you can't get better without getting reps and putting exposing yourself to a variety of situations, whether it's in or out of your comfort zone, important, breaking, non-breaking news, both are important, just getting reps. And if that means going to Anchorage, Alaska, go for it. Because everybody wants to get to a bigger and better place, but I think you have to go somewhere and get reps. That's the most important part. Wherever you do those reps, that's that's important. Because then if you're good, you'll be fine and you'll and you'll advance on. And then also, it doesn't hurt. I know a lot of good broadcasters that are in lower markets for the their whole life and they're happy there. You don't have to make it bigger and better, like get somewhere. There are a lot of smaller markets where viewers are invested in that market and watch. Like for instance, Bakersfield, there are a few stations there that everyone watches and it's important. You may not feel like I'm not at NBC News and you know, like New York, or I'm not on ESPN, but when you're in Bakersfield, you are important and people watch. And there's something to be said for that too. You don't have to get to the biggest and best market. So I would, that's, I would just advise anyone to, to get their reps. That allows you to find your voice and find out if you like it. And then also you just get exposed to so many different things by, by doing that. That, that. That's for sure the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would kind of add on to that is just sort of to playing, making sure that you establish your network and your connections. Yeah. Because Correct. it's like you never you never know like the people that you that you totally. meet might yeah. end up landing you a job somewhere else. A hundred percent. More more often than not, who you meet along the way will get you your next gig. Exactly. Exactly. And that doesn't have to be like if you go to like a conference or a sporting event or a news event, like going out and meeting everyone. Be like I'm I'm Billy Battle, you know, from like Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'm trying to move. It's just a matter of like friends being friendly with people, talking to people, and then circling back or keeping up relationships along the way. Um, Not everyone has to be like a stepping stone. I would say developing relationships, friendships are important versus stepping stones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Todd Strange, sports anchor for NBC7. Todd, do you have anything that you'd like to share that I haven't asked you about already? No, just big shout out to you, dude. You do great work. I'm excited to be on this podcast for you. And I know you'll be off to, to big things in your future. You're already doing big things. And I'm thanks for having me on. And I just want to say thank you to you for all you do for Football Night and NBC7 uh, behind the scenes. You make a lot of it happen, dude. Thanks. I appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, you can also follow Todd on Twitter at Todd Strain NBCSD. If you ever have any questions, any sports pitches, any ideas, throw it his way. Even for down to earth, too, he's willing to see it all. As there say. you go. If you know any good rhino stories, hit me up. <laughs> yeah, Todd, thanks for being on. Thanks, Devin. Thanks for having me, dude. Thanks for listening to my conversation with NBC7 sports anchor Todd Strain. You can follow him on Twitter at Todd Strain NBCSD. Stay tuned. We have more exciting episodes on the back burner in coming weeks. Have a great day, everyone.